We've come to this passage in Romans chapter 5. So look it up. As you look it up, let me tell you about what happened in 2014. A Malaysia airplane, the MH370, took off from Kuala Lumpur, heading to Beijing, but it dis disappeared. It, it's still a mystery, exactly what took place, but experts have been looking at the flight data and what happened, and their best guess is that something like this took place. It appears that the pilot, uh, Captain Shah, took the plane up to about 40,000 feet, a height which basically means that the plane slowly depressurizes. Um, I mean, the, the, the oxygen things drop well earlier before 40,000, but the oxygen runs out in 15 minutes. And it looks like the captain took it up to that height to subdue the 238 passengers who slowly suffocated in the back of the plane, and then flew for seven hours until the, the fuel uh, ran out and it crashed into the sea. Now, why did he do that? We just don't know. Uh, but through that one pilot, through that one man's actions, it caused the death of 238 passengers. It's horrific. It's terrible. But I'm telling that story because actually, in a less dramatic way, that is the story of every human being. It is our story. I was looking at the statistics. In, in 2017, 607,172 people died in the UK. So in 2017, on average, over 50,000 people died a month in the United Kingdom. We don't tend to think about this, but all around us, every month in the UK, over 50,000 people will die. Now, why does this happen? Well, let's turn to God's word, Romans chapter 5, because he wants to explain it to us and explain the glorious good news of the gospel in the light of it. So let me read from Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 12 down to 21. Listen out for two people, Adam and Christ, and notice the difference between them two. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift 
followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word. Why does all this death happen? Well, the answer of the Bible is because of the actions of one man, Adam. He was the pilot that led to this relentless tragedy of death. We die because we're connected to Adam as one of his descendants. Now, a couple of preliminary thoughts before we kind of dig into this passage in a bit more detail. Firstly, I want to address perhaps those who might be skeptically uh, listening to all this talk of Adam and think, really, Adam, really? Uh, I found it interesting in 2013 in the Nature magazine, there was an article that talked about why chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve. I only did basically a few months of um, cell biology, so I'm no expert at this. Uh, but geneticists who look at uh, the, the, the cell and the, and the DNA in the cell, they, they work out this theory that basically all men living now have a Y chromosome that's descended from one man, and they've identified him, identified him as Y chromosome Adam, that they originally thought would live around 100,000 years ago. Similarly, they've got a theory that predicts that um, if you look at the mitochondria in the cell of women, that there's a genome in that mitochondria that could be traced to a single woman uh, they call mitochondrial Eve. But the, the problem was the initial study showed that she lived about 200,000 years ago. But in 2013, there were two major studies uh, uh, where they basically rejigged their models and realized actually that Y chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve could well have lived around the same time around 180,000 to 200,000 years ago, give or take a day or two. I, lo I love I these data. Well, look, I'm not a genetic scientist. And uh, to be honest, some of the detail I've just expressed to you has already gone straight over my head. But it's interesting to me that it's not dumb or stupid to talk about every human being today being descended from common ancestors. And secondly, I always find it fascinating how scientists keep changing their minds 
you, you, you see these um, reports in the papers and there's, there's a definite finding, the scientists, and then a few years later they completely change it. So that's the way of science, right? It doesn't look so certain. One minute, red meat's going to kill you. Next minute, red meat's fine. I choose to believe the second report, right? <laughs> uh, I like my bacon. I, oh, that's the report. That must be right. That's what scientists are saying, right? They keep changing their mind. Now, I find it fascinating as we come to the Bible that long before DNA and genetic studies, the Bible told us that, that all human ancestors go back to uh, an, an original couple, Adam, uh, the first man, and Eve. And that um, this was God's special creation in the world. And that we all flow, all, everyone has descended from these, these two. It's, it's important in lots of ways because as Genesis tells the account, out of all of the creation, the man and the woman stand as in a unique place because they are the ones who are made in the image of God. And so this Christian uh, doctrine of, of, of what it means to be a human means that every person is equal and has equal dignity and value. And I fear where our culture will go if it chops the roots from that foundational understanding of true equality that we find in the Bible rooted in our God-given image-bearing status. But the point as we come to Romans chapter 5 is that he wants us to understand uh, the significance of what Christ did in the light of the biggest narrative possible. I don't know whether you've been watching the, uh, the World Athletics Championships. Uh, Katerina Thompson Johnson or Johnson Thompson, I can never get it right way around. She, she got a gold medal. She got a terrific number of points, nearly got 7,000 points. And apparently that was a big deal. And I knew that because after the achievement, we go to the, the panel. And there's uh, is Michael Johnson. Johnston? What? That dude, he sits on the, he sits on the sofa. And, 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 the, and, the, and Gabby Logan says something like this. Michael, can you help us uh, understand the, you know, put this achievement in context? And he goes, well, yeah, it's absolutely awesome. And, you know, he does his deep voice thing and tells you how incredible this achievement is in the line of all of athletic history and how close she is to touching. Anyway, you get the point. Now, it seems as, as we get through this letter of Romans, the Apostle Paul, having explained uh, something of the amazing salvation of what Jesus achieved in his death on the cross, he kind of wants to first to understand this death in history in its fullest, most cosmic context. He wants to give us the context of this all. And, and, and if I was to summarize this passage, because the details are a little bit overwhelming, I found it kind of a challenge this week to study this section. It's so densely argued. In summary, it's quite straightforward. There's basically only two people in history that count. And you're either descended in the line of David, uh, David, Adam, or you have connected yourself to Christ, the new humanity. That actually God sees every human being as fundamentally either linked to Adam or linked to Christ. And what, what, what Jesus achieved on the cross was utterly epochal. It was foundational for a brand new humanity. And that offers us great hope. Because the other element of this story is that while we see that Adam brings 
sin and death, what Christ brings is righteousness and life. But the point of this comparison is to show us how how utterly stupendous is this salvation and how much greater and glorious it is compared to the problem of sin. So we're going to focus a little bit on some of the depressing history of being linked to Adam, but hold in there because we're going to get to the glorious truth of what it means to be in Christ. Verse 14 tells us that Adam was a pattern of the one to come. In a sense, Adam is a type of Christ who's the anti-type. And he's going to do some comparison between the two. What it means to be connected to Adam and what it means to be connected to Christ. And as we go through this, I just want you to think, who are you connected to? See, if you're not connected to Christ, you're merely connected to Adam. And you need to see your situation and your state being merely connected to Adam. And I want you to see how glorious it is to be connected to Christ. And I want to invite you to connect your lives to Christ this morning. Well, let's look at what's true of everyone who's part of Adam's human race. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Here's a condensed view of the history of the world. Read the book of Genesis, you'll see that God created a perfect world. And he places uh, mankind, male and female, as the pinnacle of his creation. They were in perfect relationship with him. It was a harmonious and beautiful world without death. And what spoiled the world was the coming of sin into God's world. And the way that sin entered the world was through this one man, Adam, the first man. Now, sin is such a downgraded word for us. I think today it just means, oops. It's just a little bit, being a little bit naughty. But actually in the Bible, sin is a horrendous problem. Uh, sin means to refuse to obey God. Sin means to replace God, to seek to replace him. And sin means to, re- to seek to rival God. That's the essence of sin. To refuse, to replace, and to attempt to rival God. And I want to suggest you that's not a very wise thing to try to do with the Almighty God. But this is exactly what Adam did. He chose to disobey God. Um, God put him in a beautiful garden. He said, you can eat any tree in the garden. There's just one tree that you must not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what Adam did is he chose to disobey the command of God. He rebelled. He refused to obey. He, he, he saw what his choices were more important than what God said. And he brought sin into God's perfect world. And, and the way that sin is talked of in the book of Romans is it's not merely um, doing wrong. It's, it's as if sin is a power. Adam opened the door to this enslaving power of sin into the world. I think those who struggle with addictions have a sense of this. Uh, You think, oh, well, I'll use alcohol. It'll do things for me. And then actually, if you become addicted to it, you'll find that actually that thing controls you. It enslaves you. You think, oh, I'll take drugs. It'll be good for me. I can can enjoy drugs. And I'll choose when I take them or not. 
the nature of addiction is that the drugs end up enslaving you, controlling you. This is what sin is like. Adam opened the doorway, sin came in, and it became an enslaving power, seeking to exert power over us, demanding that it should be obeyed. So Adam thought he was uh, getting control, but instead he surrendered control to the slave master of sin. And what were the consequences? Well, uh, verse 12 tells us the immediate consequence is that death entered the world through sin. In Genesis 2 verse 17, God warned them that if they should eat the, of that, uh, the fruit of that tree, they would surely die. In the Bible, death is both spiritual and physical. The most profound truth is it's spiritual. From their rebellion, Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. It's about separation from God. That's what death is, to be separated from the one who is life. And what naturally follows from that is physical death. In the garden is the, is the tree of life, and they're able to freely eat of that tree, but cast out of the garden, they become mortal. Death is this alien intrusion into God's world. It comes in on the coattails of our sin. That's what the Bible says. But, but look, the consequences of this one individual had far-reaching effect. Verse 12. Just as sin entered through the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The impact of his sin is that everyone that followed him sinned. As Adam is the head of humanity... What happened to him creates a new state for all his descendants. Adam's sin is imputed to the rest of his descendants. As the roots of a tree, whatever happens in the roots will affect every single branch in the tree. That is true of every piece of humanity descended from Adam. He's our federal head and what he's done affects all of us. Occasionally we see this principle working out um, in, in, in life as we, as we look in the history of the world. For instance, if a prime minister declares war with another nation, then the whole nation is affected by that, isn't it? I was in India a few years ago when the prime minister, Narendra Modi, announced overnight that he was going to scrap the 500 and the 1,000 rupee banknotes. His one decision overnight caused absolute pandemonium and chaos to the whole of India the next day. I was watching the queues at the banks. One man's decision as the federal head impacts the whole. That's the principle. And so it was with Adam. His decision forever changed his descendants. His sin made us all sinners. So we're not basically good people who do occasional sinful things, but we're sinful people who innately choose to refuse God look to replace God and rival the God who made us. Um, I know that people who aren't Christians sometimes find this a very hard doctrine to accept. Uh, they've said to me, look, I, 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 just, I, don't, I don't buy that bit, I don't get that bit. Uh, they like to think of people as basically good. And I, I scratch my head at that. Uh, why is it that some people see this and some people don't? I, I think it's because we're in a culture where we basically have built in this presumption of sin that we don't notice it anymore. It's a bit like asking a fish uh, about what water is. It doesn't know. It just swims through it all the time. 
But the truth is, every key in our pocket tells us we don't intrinsically trust everyone as basically good. Every one of those passwords I have to keep trying to remember to, to get into my bank accounts and various other things reminds me that I don't think that people are basically good. Every police officer out there is a reminder to me. Every law court, every prison is a reminder to me. And of course, parents who've raised children, if you've observed your children, it is quite extraordinary, is it? You never have to uh, teach them how to be selfish. No, Timmy, stop giving that bread to your sister. Keep it to yourself. No, Sheila, take that chocolate off him. No, you don't have to do that. You, you, you teach people to share and to be kind. You never teach people to be selfish. Innately, we are now sinners, the Bible says, because we're all descended from Adam. Now, we don't like this talk. I think we screen it out because it basically humbles us. It basically tells us we cannot fix all our own problems. In fact, we need a savior. And we don't like that. But look at the final universal consequence of Adam's sin. In this way, death came to all people. So here's the pattern. Adam sinned, Adam died. All the rest sinned, all the rest come under the power of death. And so from Adam onwards, everyone descended from him has come into the world born outside of Eden. We're in this spiritual state of separation from God and subject to physical death. Now, this is bleak. This is depressing. But it, let's be honest, this is part of our story. Over 50,000 every month in this country. But this is the backdrop that, that Paul wants us to, to see the significance and the impact of the death of Jesus in history. What Jesus did was epochal. It was foundational. He was starting a brand new humanity. And it makes all the difference in the world if I am merely connected to Adam or whether I actually change and connect myself to Christ. End of verse 14. Adam is a pattern of the one to come. Now what's amazing is that having said, look, Adam is like the one who's coming, Christ, but actually he spends a lot of his time basically pointing out what a very poor type Adam is to Christ uh, that's what he does in verses 15 to 7 look uh, 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 it's, a, it's a bad example he says and then and in verses 18 to 21 he says well and, and oh, look at how much more superior Christ is to Adam so that's what we're going to look at look at what it means to be part of Christ's human race look at verse 15 but the gift is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So what did Adam bring? He brought the trespass. He, he left the path of what is right. He chose what he thought was best for him, and he pursued his own way. What did Christ do? Well, Christ brought the gift of God's grace. Christ came and didn't choose to suit himself, to save himself, but sacrificed himself in the place of sinners. And so you see, if you're just stuck with Adam here, 
then you're stuck with his trespass, his physical death, and his eternal death, his eternal spiritual separation from God. That's what you're stuck with. But if you come to Christ and his grace, then you receive a gift of God's grace, which will mean life. And, and you notice there is only one way we can experience God's grace. And it is through the one man, Jesus Christ. It is because of his death. It's because he sacrificed himself as a, a sacrifice of propitiation, taking the wrath of God away from sin. It's because he did that. That's the only way that God's grace can break into this, this world where death and sin reign. Now the contrast goes on. Look at the strength of God's grace in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16 again. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. They're like each other, but the gift is so much more superior, he says. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. You see, Adam's one sin brought condemnation to all the descendants. But amazingly, Christ's gift is able to cover all the many sins that followed. One sin brought absolute chaos. The sacrifice of Christ is able to cover all the sins. So that all who trust Christ will be declared just, righteous, Justified. On the cross, Christ paid for all our many sins. One sin can take you to hell. And how many sins have we committed? There's only one who can cover all those sins, and it is Christ. And so to be stuck with Adam means I'm stuck with my condemnation. It's only a matter of time before the judgment will come on me. But if I'm connected to Christ, it means I receive the gift of righteousness and justification. And God looks at me and declares, you are just, you are right with me, you are always right with me. Because he looks at Christ, my head. Now verse 17 uh, continues the contrast, but it's a surprising one. See, if I'm stuck with Adam, then I am under the reign of death. Death rules over my life. It will always have its way with me. It'll drive me uh, through the grave to hell itself. But look how it describes being connected with Christ in verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, actually, you'd expect the contrast to be this. Um, death reigns through the one man, life reigns through Jesus. But that's not what it says. Death reigns through the one man, but now those who are connected with Christ, they reign in life. That's a beautiful expression. See, the point is, having connected my life to Christ, I'm not ruled over by death. I don't live my life in fear of death. 
unless Jesus comes back, I will die. But merely physically. Spiritually, I am connected to God in the closest of relationships. That's what we've been rejoicing in as we've been looking at Romans chapter 5, isn't it? We have peace with God. We're reconciled to God. We have the hope of glory. Uh, Physical death will not be an impediment to me to experience that spiritual life with God. And in Christ, a day will come when he returns, when I will experience his resurrection life, get his resurrected body for all eternity. And so death does not rule over me as a, if I'm connected to Christ. I rule over life with Christ. It changes everything. See, our current status and our future destinies are linked to this question. Who am I connected to? Everyone in this room is basically connected to one of two heads of humanities. You're either connected to Adam and all the consequences of his choices, or you're connected to Christ and all the blessings that he has achieved. Look at verses 18 and 19. It's like a summary statement of this. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people linked to Adam, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people linked to Christ. Verse 19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The sermon is called um, Why Grace is Stronger Than Sin. Why is grace stronger than sin? Well, my sin, I, I get what I deserve. I get the judgment of God. The wonderful thing is that my salvation rests and hangs solely not on my performance, not on my obedience, not on my righteousness, but on the obedience of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Why do I have confidence that I will keep going in my Christian life? It is because... It is a salvation that Christ has achieved. It is his righteousness. It is his obedience that wins this salvation for me. My hope and confidence is is not in me whatsoever. It is solely in Christ. If I'm trusting Christ, I'm connected to him, and because of that, I have absolute confidence of my eternal salvation. Last Sunday, we beat Australia. We, meaning the Welsh nation. We, the Welsh nation, beat Australia. I'm sorry, Australians. It must be tough to be second. But Wales won. We won. And I never broke a sweat. I never broke a sweat. Because those, uh, those 15 or so players with uh, substitutions, they, they won the victory on behalf of the whole nation. And so their victory is something that the whole nation gloried in. In fact, we all laid down for the afternoon. It was so exhausting in the second half to watch Australia come back. It was a bit scary. But we won. In the Old Testament, there's that wonderful story, isn't there, about uh, the moment where um, 
the Philistines were subjugating Israel, and they had their amazing head of the army, Goliath, stood head and shoulders, the giant, head and shoulders above everybody else. And uh, he, every day, used to call out a challenge to Israel. Um, I tell you what, send me your best man, we'll fight, and whoever wins, they will, they will be victorious for the whole. And of course, nobody really wanted to fight him until David says, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. A few stones in the sling, knocks him out, chops his head off with a sword. David won. No, Israel won. Israel won in the victory of David. And that's exactly the picture that explains to us what is happening with Christ. Christ's conquering of sin and death, his victory is the victory of all who are connected to him. That's the glorious thing. But I want us to notice as we close here that there's contrast, but the final point is for us to see that what Christ has achieved for us, um, it's not just that he reverses what Adam has done. It's not as if, you know, there's the problem, this brings us back to neutral. No, what Christ has done far exceeds the problem. The damage that was caused by sin, well, grace not only fixes it, but, but takes us to a whole new level. Look at verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We, there is a major note in this passage about the influence of the law of God. We've not had time to look at it today. Just briefly, the Mosaic law, that, that, the law that God gave through Moses was never intended to be a way of, of salvation. You know, if you obey these things, you'll be saved. It was never intended to be that. The truth is that when God's law meets our sinful nature, it actually, because of the perversity of our human nature, it increases our sin. I'll never forget a time when um, I went on a, a ride in Wales. It was a Ferris wheel. And um, as I was being strapped in, uh, the person strapping in, gave us the command, no shouting, no spitting. Now, I had not remotely thought of spitting uh, from that great height on the top of the Ferris wheel. I hadn't thought about it. But as soon as I was commanded that I should not spit, I felt my salivary glands <laughs> just starting to squeeze more saliva in my mouth. This is the perversity of the human nature. Give me a command, I will fight against it. So why did God give the Mosaic law? Well, one of the answers in verse 20 is he gave us the Mosaic law to show how desperately we need salvation. It's provoked our sinfulness. It's revealed our utter need for salvation. But here's the glorious thing that we learn about Jesus. As sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's worth meditating on. My Christian friends, I know some really struggle with a sense of the burden of your sinfulness, even though you've trusted Christ. I, I have a, a wonderful friend. He's a, he's a really godly guy. But he is plagued with so many anxieties. Um, he has an overscrupulous conscience. He sees sin in his actions where others would not see sin. 
and he burdened down and weighed by it. And I just reminded him of this week where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Do you know how wretched and sinful you are? You probably don't, actually. You don't probably, we don't understand the full extent of our wretchedness and our sin, but guess what? The grace that comes through Christ is more. It covers it all. The word there has not just that, that grace abounds, which would be a wonderful picture, but it's, it, it comes up with a word. It superabounds. It's more than enough. And if you're not a Christian here and you, and you walked in the door and you have you've a profound sense of how rotten you are and that you've made a mess of it and you think there's no hope, I want you to know if you will connect with Christ, his grace is more than enough to cover your sin. In fact, his grace uh, will not only just cancel out the past, but will restore you and fit you for eternal life. His grace can take crooked people and make them righteous. His grace can make liars into truthful people. His grace can take thieves and make them generous givers of their money from their work. As sin increases, grace increases all the more. And so what is the life of the Christian like? Well, look at verse 20. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're just merely connected to Adam, here's an awful thing. You're reigned over by death. If you are connected to Christ, my friends, you're reigned over by grace. And what is ahead is life, eternal life. A world that is more glorious than this one for all sin and evil will be totally eradicated. This is what Christ makes possible. Uh, and so, uh, let, you know, how can we put the death of Christ into context, Mr. Jordan? It's cosmic. It changes everything. And the question today is, uh, who are you connected to? And if your answer is, I'm only connected to Adam, well, today you could become connected to Christ. There's, there's a prayer in the bulletin that you could use, a prayer of repentance, where you could make that change. And my Christian friends, if you're feeling weighed down by your sin, reread these verses and know that grace abounds all the more. And as we head out into the world, which is pretty lost and pretty broken, and people's stories can be quite desperate, let, let me tell you this. There is a head Christ who is able to, to, to meet people's greatest needs and bring salvation that is full and total and glorious. So let's tell, tell them about him. Let's pray.